0: We as a church family are going through the gospel of John. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to John chapter 6. We are looking at what what may be for some of you a familiar passage, a familiar story. But I have some some prayers and some hopes for today and and why we're doing things a little bit differently uh, in our service order. I'll explain more in a minute. But here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite Ashley to come. She's going to do our scripture reading for today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up or power them on, whatever you want to do, to John chapter 6. And I'm going to pray uh, here in a moment that that God would really speak to us and meet with us in this passage of scripture. And so uh, would you turn your heart and your attention to the reading of God's word? And Ashley, go ahead if you would.
1: This is God's word from the gospel of John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, "'It is I. Do not be afraid.' Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going." when did you come here?
0: Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, we thank you for the scriptures that are given to teach us and instruct us and help us and correct us. And God, I am praying today that you would help us meet with you. Even as we read this story, this, this miracle, Lord Jesus, that you performed 2,000 years ago, but but Jesus, you are still the same yesterday, today, and forever. You still trample upon the waves of the sea. You still meet us in the storms and you calm our fears and you point us to your victory through your death and your resurrection. God, I ask and I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth today would be truthful and helpful. And I ask and I pray that each one of us, God, you would you'd help our walls to go down. You'd help our distractions to focus in, and and that we really encounter you, Lord Jesus, here in this time together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question, give you a moment to think on this question, but can you recall a time in your life where you were scared? Can you recall a time, some of you it's present, some of you maybe have to think for a minute, but when was a time when you were really afraid, fearful, fear just gripped your heart, I was having a conversation with somebody this last week and they told me about their house being broken into just a few months ago. I hadn't known about this, but they had their house broken into and it wasn't just the stuff that was stolen. The, 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 thing, the main thing that the robbers stole was that sense of peace and safety and security. If you've ever had your car broken into or your home broken into, you know exactly what that feels like. Every time she was saying, every time she came home, just didn't know, was somebody in there? Or is somebody going to, me harm. I ended up having to see a counselor for a while because of it. Had a conversation a few weeks before that. Uh, we have actually, I think, three families from our church that were in Hawaii. You remember about a month ago when that alert went off, the 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 alert text message on the phone, incoming missiles, seek shelter immediately. This is not a drill. They're on vacation. You're in Hawaii trying to enjoy the beach and some family time and to, you know, relax. Well, that's the opposite of relaxing. And someone I was talking to said it actually didn't hit them in the moment, but was when they came back home and they ended, ended up having just a very emotional day of just the, the letdown of that kind of fear and that kind of terror. I remember when I was first a parent, my oldest daughter, she's, again, she's been with this team from Mexico. She's with her grandma, my mom right now. They're, they're traveling back later tonight. But I remember we were at a church service and she was maybe a year and a half, two years old and she fell on kind of this, this kind of hard carpet, and she fell, and she hit her head, and she started having a seizure. And I'm a brand new parent, and to make matters worse, we actually knew some people who had had a child fall, hit their head, and who had died because of it. And this was a few months after that. My child falls, hits her head, and starts having a seizure. I, I, I don't remember ever being that scared in my life. Fear is one of those universal human experiences. Amen. Like like look around this room right now. There is not a person in here who does not experience at some level fears. They can be big fears or they can be small fears. They can be rational fears, they can be, let's be honest, irrational fears at times. Some of you in your marriages have had those conversations. That's an irrational fear. Yeah, well I still feel it. Last night, last night, my second oldest daughter came and knocked on the door of our bedroom a little bit louder than she usually does and I went and answered the door and she's in the room by herself because her sister's traveling and she was reading this novel, you know, young adult, teen fiction or whatever and it had some scary imagery in it and it just kind of freaked her out. And it's like, well, that's not real. It's it's science fiction-y or whatever. It's like, you know, well, just you know, go back to bed. Don't be scared, right? That's not what I did. <laughs> I'm a better dad than that. But... But it was a kind of an irrational fear. But it was very real. It was very tangible. It was very present. Everyone feels fear. It's very human. It's a very natural response to the brokenness of the world. Actually, let me use this word fear is a natural response to the violence in the world. The world is a violent place, the world is a devastated and devastating place. I, uh, (laughs) with my kids, having four kids in the home, uh, I don't often get to just watch movies that I like that don't have, you know, animated fish in them or things like that. And, uh, but the one type of movie I love watching more than any other type of movie is documentaries. I love documentaries. Usually after my kids fall asleep, often after my wife falls asleep, I'll throw in a documentary. But man, documentaries, that'll mess you up, Right? You start watching documentaries. I got on a history documentary kick for a while, and I got on specifically on a World War One documentary kick. And I was watching it, and I'm like, man, it's just nothing but despots and tyrants and dictators and war, and there's just nothing but conflict and sieges and the whole history of humanity is warfare and blood. I'm like, that's depressing. Let's watch a science documentary. I was like, oh, there's animals that want to kill you, and hurricanes, and tornadoes, and uh, you know, earthquakes, and they're all going to die, and the seas are rising, and California and Florida are going to fall into the ocean, and like, let's, let's watch a food documentary, that's, that's too scary, and then it's like, oh, well, by the way, all your food is giving you diabetes, and you're going to be obese, but that doesn't matter, because you're going to get cancer and die, I'm like, fine, like, an outer space documentary, it's like, giant meteor, sun's running out of fuel, we're all dead, like, it doesn't matter what Elon Musk does, it's, it's all... Hopeless. There's something about our fears that connect us to the reality that the world is a very broken place. Amen? And I will say this. In this passage today, we see Jesus meeting his disciples, his followers, right in the middle of their fears. And I I hope and I pray I don't consider Sound City Bible Church to be a very quote-unquote religious or or phony sort of a church, but I think there's something in us where we don't like to admit to others, we don't like to admit to ourselves or even to God that we have these fears. We have these areas of our hearts where we don't know the future, we don't know what's going to happen, and and if we were really being truthful, we've got these barriers and these guards up. So, my prayer today, this is normally the part of the sermon. If you've been coming for any length of time, you know I have a, a big idea. I, here's, here's what I'm hoping today. I want, I want to encourage you. If you're a note taker, that's all fine. That's all good. But I, I want less of a big idea and more of a big encounter with the big Jesus today. There's some sermons that are more focused on the head. You know, the intellect, learn, study, grow. Some sermons are more focused on the hands. Here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going. My, my prayer is today, this would be focused on the heart the fears that you wrestle with and that Jesus would show up in a big way even right here and right now in this story, in, this, in these words that were written down so long ago. So can we, can we try for that today? I'm gonna reread the passage again. Ashley, it's not because you did a bad job. You did a great job, but I'm gonna read it again because I wanna point out a few things. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Now you remember, this is a section from John 6. Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000. 5,000, at least 5,000 men, probably more. Pastor Shane taught on that last week. And, 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 and in so doing, there's some symbolism there. He just finished feeding these 5,000. says he withdrew. He went away to go pray, to be alone with the Father. It's evening time. The disciples went down to the sea. They got in the boat. And they started across the sea, it's a, it's a huge lake, to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So again, I'm just thinking for a moment here, okay, there's, there's some, maybe some details left out, or we don't know all of what's going on, but oftentimes Jesus would say, you guys go over there, I'll meet you later. You guys go over there, meet you later, it's dark, it's nighttime, like we waited for Jesus. He said we were supposed to wait, but then he said we are supposed to go, and so I don't know, we better just get into the boat and head across the sea. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Oh man, we shouldn't have waited so long. We shouldn't have waited until dark. We shouldn't have waited till night. Now there's this wind blowing and the sea is rough. If any of you have ever been in a boat uh, when there's big waves, especially a smaller boat, I'm not talking about a, a cruise ship or one of the big ferries, a, a smaller boat, 10, 12, 15 people-sized boat. As, as a kid growing up in Alaska, I spent a decent amount of time in, in that size of a fishing boat. And let me tell you what, when the waves kick up, you all of a sudden feel very vulnerable. When they had rowed about three or four miles, by the way, the lake is roughly seven by 11 miles, so this would put them roughly dead center of the water. There's no going back. There's no turning back. Like, oh, we're in the middle of the lake. We might as well just keep going through, press through. When they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. In Mark, it tells us they thought they were seeing a ghost. And they were, what's the word, sound city? Frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. (laughs) And then they were glad to take him into the boat. I love that. Oh, good, it's just Jesus. Now we're glad. If it was anybody else, we would not be glad to take you into the boat. There's some stranger, just came walking on the lake. Well, we let him in the boat. We figured he needed a ride, right? And then there's one of these just perplexing moments of scripture and immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Did they not notice the passage of time? Is this some sort of biblical teleportation thing? Something supernatural just took place. Well, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side, the crowd that had just eaten the food, they were looking for Jesus again, but they saw there was only one boat there. Jesus had not gotten into the boat with his disciples, and the disciples had left. They went away alone. And other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they'd eaten the bread. People heard the rumors. Hey, Jesus did this miracle, bread. So other people started showing up and the crowd saw that Jesus wasn't there nor his disciples. So they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So the same crowd of people that witnessed the fourth sign, the feeding of the 5,000 had no window into this miracle, this fifth sign. I would like to confess something to you. I, I've, been, um, I've been a part of the church since my youth. My, my dad has been an elder. My mom has been a music leader. I've, I've just been involved in the life of the church around the scripture since childhood, since the, my earliest memories. And I'm gonna confess to you that of all of Jesus' miracles, this one has always bugged me. And I think it has something to do with being a productive person productivity-minded person. Like, when Jesus heals people, like, that accomplishes something. That's great. They're healed. That's wonderful. Signpost of the kingdom. When Jesus feeds the people, that's wonderful. You know, even turning the water into wine, that's all great. This one, I'm like, why in the world did you just walk on the water, Jesus? It's, it, it almost feels like showing off, or it feels like uh, it's kind of just a purposeless miracle. It wasn't even like around all the people. Ever since I was young, i, I just confessing, I didn't, I didn't even really realize it until I started studying and prepping this week. It just feels random. Well, praise God, it's not random. <laughs> there's a few things I think that we can see in this passage, and I'll share them with you. There's, there's three reasons, and there's three, actually, I, I believe, very clear Old Testament references being made in this act, this action of Jesus walking upon the waves of the sea. And the first reason why Jesus walks on the sea is to to show that there's a new exodus underway. Jesus is enacting a new exodus. Okay, remember last week, earlier in chapter six, it says what time of year that it was. Does anybody remember what time of year it is when Jesus is sitting down and teaching and feeding the 5,000? Anybody remember? Passover, exactly. Thank you, Jen. Passover. This is a incredibly potent, symbolic time of year. The Passover is the celebration of when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. If you were a follower of God, if, if you were an a, a Israelite, if you were a Hebrew and you were a follower of God, this is the big moment of redemption. If you wanted to look back on the history of the people of God and say was there ever a time when God really showed up and defeated the forces of evil and, and brought freedom and salvation and redemption, what is the moment that you would point to. You would point to the exodus. That's the big deal. That's the time of redemption. Jesus gathers a crowd around the Passover time. Starts teaching. Oh, there's no food. What are we going to do? Everyone's going to be hungry. Bam! Miraculous bread provided from heaven. Oh! How many baskets full of food were, were collected afterwards? You guys remember? Twelve! Oh, twelve. Tri- you guys are seeing these connections, Right? It is not for nothing that Jesus is performing these miracles at this time. And then think about the story of the Exodus. God showed up. We got to go free from Egypt. This is amazing. We're out in the desert and he's providing for us. And then, oh no, there's this big body of water blocking us. And the armies of Egypt are coming to kill us. We just had a crash emotionally. High highs. To low lows. Think about the disciples. I'm I'm, I'm speculating a little bit, but do you think that the disciples were excited after Jesus fed the 5,000 people and they got to be a part of that? This is amazing and bread from heaven and this incredible incredible miracle and we got to witness it, we got to be a part of it. Okay, we got to get in the boat and oh no, we're going to die on the water. See what Jesus is doing here? What What does God do for the children of Israel? What does God do? Charlton Heston, I mean, uh, Moses outstretches his hands and he he commands the waves to part and God does this miracle and the people walk through safely where there was water, where there was death. Now there's safety and security and freedom. What does Jesus do for the disciples? They're they're in the boat, the waves, the storm, they're going to die. What does Jesus do? He comes walking on the water. There's a verse in Psalm 77 reflecting back on that moment for the for the people of Israel and the Exodus. And I just I wonder, again, I'm speculating here, but I really, I hope and I pray that at least one of the disciples had these words come to mind. Because I think it's what Jesus is doing. Psalm 77, starting in verse 16, says, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Your way, listen, was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. In this decisive moment in the Exodus, when the people of Israel thought that all was lost, God showed up. And he walked through the waves. In this moment when the disciples thought that all was lost and they're going to drown in the middle of the sea, Jesus shows up. In fact, isn't that just like the gospel itself? That Christ comes, he, he lives, he performs miracles, he teaches, he gathers large crowds, but then he begins to say things and, and the, the, the ruling authorities of the day didn't like it and, and one of his own disciples betrays him and he's arrested and he's stripped naked and he's beaten and he's nailed to a cross. Talk about going from high highs to low lows. There's your savior, there's your king, there's your Messiah nailed to a criminal's tree. Where's God? Where is he in the middle of all this? (laughs) The forces of evil didn't realize that in that moment, Jesus has taken all of the brokenness of the world, all of the sin, all of the hatred, all of the fear, all of the racism, all of the violence, all of the outpouring, all of those things that give us fear as humans, he's taking it all upon himself. And then, oh, by the way, he rose from the dead on the third day. Conquering over the forces of evil. When the waves saw you, oh God, they were afraid. When the ocean saw you, it shuddered in fear. The people of Israel, the disciples, everyone is shuddering in fear at the waves, but then God shows up. Let me just ask you, dear friend, if Christ has redeemed you, if the greatest exodus, the new exodus, the ultimate redemption, where, where, where God didn't just defeat Pharaoh in Egypt, where God defeated in his son all of sin and death and hell itself, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? No, the, the storms we experience, the waves we bump up against, it is they who are afraid when Christ shows up. He's enacting a new exodus, a new moment of redemption. We look back on the exodus. We remember it. It's it's prototypical. But we, followers of Jesus, the Messiah, we have a new exodus. His name is Jesus. And he's conquered over sin and death itself. What, what, What greater thing is there to cause us fear than death? Jesus has defeated death. The second thing that Jesus is doing here He's walking on the waves to display his divinity. He's displaying his divinity. Now, this is very different, right? The miracle a moment ago, he fed 5,000 people. That means there were at least 5,000 witnesses. There are only 12 it's a very small group of his, his followers, a very small group of his disciples that he gives this window to. By the way, this is a side note, but some of you, when you, when you hear this story, you cringe a little bit and you think to yourself, man, this is, this is why the Bible's so tough all of these unscientific sorts of things happening. People don't really walk on water. People don't teleport their boat to the other side of the lake and, and all this stuff. And you kind of cringe a little bit because you're thinking, ah, this is, this is why people can't take the Bible seriously is because of miracles like this. Let me just, let me just ask you, if, if there is a God who, as Jesus said in in John 5, he's got all life within himself. If he created all things, if he upholds the universe by the word of his power, is it possible that the laws of nature that he has spoken into existence are not themselves ultimate, but there is one who is ultimate over the laws of nature? Is that possible? Is that in your wildest imagination, if there's a God who put the laws of nature into place, do you think he might be superior over the laws of nature? I would offer you yes. Yes. The other thing I would offer you, though, is that objection comes from a mindset that is very rationalistic. Enlightenment thinkers, 1700s, 1800s, they they viewed the universe as this, like, clock that God wound up. He put these laws into place. They can't be broken. They, They won't be broken. And he wound them up, and he put them into place, and he just kind of stepped back and leaves the universe to run like a clock. The problem is, is uh, if you're paying attention to what scientists are telling us nowadays, there is on a, like a daily and weekly basis more things that scientists are coming out saying, yeah, we thought we understood how the universe worked and we have actually no idea, right? Uh, you know, string theory, quantum physics, particle physics, you go really big or really small, multiverse theory. By the way, again, documentaries, this is what I do. This is my life. <laughs> all that to say, you, you think you've got all these Very um, unbreakable laws of nature. And then scientists come out with this thing and they're like, you know, we actually tested it and we found that the exact same atom could be in San Francisco and New York at the exact same time. Like, I think you've been inhaling some chemicals in your laboratory because that's crazy talk. And they're like, no, we tested it and they've got the math to prove it. Like, I don't even understand how that works and the bending of the space-time continuum. I'm about to lose all of you. I apologize. The point being, God is sovereign over the laws of nature. And we as Christians have nothing to fear from a moment. Maybe we don't understand it. We can't fully explain it. But God is bigger than the laws of nature. Don't make nature God. He's sovereign over nature. There was a time when the space-time continuum, as we know it, didn't exist. And there's a time when Christ returns and it will be restored and made new. We've got a big God. Here, here's the main point on this. In the Gospel of John, both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus are on very big and very full display. It says things like, Jesus was tired and thirsty from his journey. Remember that? When, when he met with the woman at the well. Uh, if we keep reading, it's gonna, he's gonna say things like, my soul is very troubled within me. We're gonna get to, when, when, when Lazarus dies, it's, it's amazing. I'm, spoiler alert. Lazarus dies. Uh, Jesus raises him from the dead and he knows he's gonna do it, but it still says one of the most profound things in all of scripture. It says, Jesus wept because his friends were sorrowful, and, and the sisters, Mary and Martha, were sorrowful. and So there's this very human Jesus on display in the Gospel of John. At the same time, there's this very divine Jesus on display. John 1, right, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 5, he says, as the Father has all life in himself, so also he's granted to the Son to have life in himself. And they want to kill him because he's making himself to be equal with God. And you look at the Gospel of John, you say, well, which is it? Is it a very human Jesus, or is it a very divine Jesus? And the answer is, of course... Yes, fully man, fully God. But here in this moment, the divinity of Jesus is on display. Again, this is a unique miracle. There are other people in the Bible that perform miracles. There are prophets that did food miracles, like Elijah with the, the widow's jar of oil. There are, there are apostles who heal people and, and restore sight to the blind. Other people do miracles. No one else walks On the water. Only Jesus does that. Again, I'm hoping that that one of the disciples made the connection to Job chapter 9, where it says, God is wise and all powerful. Who has opposed him and come out unharmed? He removes mountains without their knowledge, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place so that its pillars tremble. He commands the sun not to shine and seals off the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens, here it is, and treads on the waves of the sea. Who walks on the water? Only God does. Only God does. Jesus comes to them walking on the water to show them with his actions, I am God. The Word has been made flesh. He also says something. Did you notice what he said? What, did, what does Jesus say? He said, do not be afraid. It's me. Go back to Exodus. Okay. I know we're jumping through the Bible. It's like it's like sword drills here. For those of you Christian kids who grew up doing sword drills. If you don't know what that is, the Bible is a sword. You do drill. Okay, never mind. Try to keep up. You gotta, you gotta think quick. My brain is very scattered. In Exodus chapter 3, before Moses goes and leads this great. Exodus, this great redemption, God shows up in the burning bush and he says, okay God I'm I'm willing to do this but who who do I say is sending me? Who who do I tell him sent me? And what does God say? He says, just tell him the I am sent you. Like whoa. Because all of the gods are like the God of rain or the God of the river or the God of the sun but this is just the God who is. I am. I am who I am. There is no other. In, in Hebrew, the word is, is eheyeh. Eh, yeah. It's one word, I am. Now, you fast forward to the time of Jesus. At that time, the, the Jewish people had been scattered throughout the world. And, and not as many of them spoke Hebrew, not as many of them read Hebrew in the original language. The, the language of the day, the lingua franca, the common language of the day, was actually Greek. Kind of like how today if you go to the Olympics, I know it's in Korea and there's people from all the nations of the world there, but most everything is happening in English, right? It's the, it's the lingua franca. It's the most commonly used language. So the, the, this group of Hebrew scholars said, we need to get the Bible into Greek so that people can read it. And so when they took this verse in Exodus 3, I am who I am, they used these two Greek words, ego e me. I am. And that's what's in the Greek translation. It's called the Septuagint. Ego a me. Now, Jesus comes walking on the water. The disciples are terrified. He says, Do not be afraid. Ego a me. I am. The I am is here. Jesus is gonna get a lot of mileage out of those two little words. Ego ami. He's gonna go, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door for the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's gonna begin a series throughout the rest of John saying over and over and over again, I am, I am, I am, I am. You're looking for a rescuer. You're looking for a redeemer. You're looking for a God who is powerful enough to deliver on the promise of rescue. I'm here. This is our God. His actions and his words speak to his divinity, which leads directly to the third thing. Jesus walks on the water to redirect our fears. So, remember how I said that fear is common? Fear is natural. Nobody in here is free from experiencing fears. The problem is that fear is also a great Reminder of our brokenness. It's a great reminder of our fallenness. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, the, the, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the garden. It says naked and unashamed. And that shame is, is related to the idea of fear. They rebelled against God. They sinned. They, they, took, they, they took lordship away from God. And says, we want to be in charge of ourselves. And what was the first thing that happened? It says they went and hid Adam even says, I, I, I went and hid. I was afraid. Fear is a great reminder that we're broken. Not only the world is broken, but we are broken. Do you know what the number one most often repeated commandment in the Bible is? Over, and you guys are going to be able to guess it now for context, but... Over and over and over and over and over again, Old Testament, New Testament, Hebrew scriptures, Greek Greek scriptures, over and over again, the Bible says, Fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Has anyone ever felt like objecting in that moment? I tried and I can't. I can't not fear. Again, my daughter comes to the door last night, knocks on the door, I read this book, it scared me, I was afraid, fear not, slam, right? Like, I didn't do that, I wouldn't do that, I'm a better parent than that, but does it ever feel that way? God, I can't not fear, I'm trying not to fear, but have you seen the brokenness of the world? Have you seen the fallenness of the world? Have you seen my own weakness and my own frailty? Well, friends, I've got good news for you today. That whenever God gives a commandment, whatever he requires, he himself supplies. The book of Romans tells us that God has done himself what the law could not do. Uh, The law comes, the commandment comes, do not fear. I can't, I can't not fear. Guess what? God has done it for us. Jesus Christ lived a life of perfect fear of the Lord. No fear of man, no fear of circumstance, no other fear. He comes to show us that God is supplying what we need. Think, just think on that for a moment. I can't, I can't not fear. You can't not fear. And yet Jesus supplies what we need. In Isaiah 43, again, I just, I wonder if the disciples were hearing these these Old Testament, these familiar Old Testament passages as Jesus is coming to them, walking on the waves of the sea. I wonder if they, I wonder if they can hear this. I wonder if we can hear this. Isaiah 43, it says, this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Here it is. Do not fear. Why? For I am have redeemed you. The redemption is already done. This is the prophet Isaiah. This is before Jesus, but it's tied to Jesus. He has redeemed us. The commandment to not fear is predicated upon the fact that we have been saved from anything that would cause us fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Do you hear God speaking this to you, friends? I will be with you when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire. The flame will not burn you. For, for, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. I've given Egypt as a ransom for you. Cush and Saba in your place because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. Do not fear for I am with you. The words of Jesus to his disciples on the lake The same as the words of God in Isaiah. They're the same as the word of God to us today. Do not fear. I'm with you. I love you. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I have redeemed you. St. Augustine, uh, ancient church father, North African bishop, he, he wrote this How does he come? walking upon the waves, keeping all the swellings of the world under his feet, pressing down all its heights. Thus it goes on. So long as time endures, so long as the ages roll, tribulations increase, calamities increase, sorrows increase. Followers of Jesus, hear me on this. We are not promised a a fear, uh, a life free from hardships that might cause us to fear. All these swell and mount up, but Jesus passes on, treading upon the waves. So let me ask you, what do you fear? When you get behind the, maybe the, the kind of Christiany optimism that sometimes pervades in churches... When you get behind the North Seattle suburbs, everything looks good. Our lawn is manicured. We've got a fence. When you get beyond all those things, what, what is it really that keeps you up at night? Are your fears physical? Natural disasters? Storms, earthquakes? Sickness? I don't, I don't know everybody in this room, but I know enough of you to know There's real fear, genuine fear inducing things that we were wrestling with, just even in this room, the people in this room right here. I shook some of your hands on the way in. You afraid of material possessions, money? How am I going to eat? How am I going to pay my rent? How are the bills going to get paid? How am I going to work all these long hours to make sure that the money can come in so the bills can be paid? Some of you have political fears, a lot of rumblings, not only turmoil within American politics and government and leadership and fights about, um, you know, gun control or racism or all this stuff and it seems like nobody can get along much less propose a solution or the nations are at war with one another or threatening war, or rumbling war and there's nuclear bombs threatened and you just have political fears some of you it's, it's much more personal it's social, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be rejected again I'll never fit in Why why would I try again? Why would I make myself vulnerable vulnerable again? I'm just going to be rejected. I'm just going to be hurt. Some of your fears are relational. My spouse will cheat on me. I'm going to wake up one day and not know who I'm married to. Some of you, it's I'll never find a spouse. I'll be alone for the rest of my life. My children are going to grow up and not follow Jesus. My children are going to grow up and reject me and not want relationship. I'm pregnant right now, but I'm probably just going to miscarry again. my children are going to be injured some of you it's just the fear of the unknown disappointment is the jesus that you serve and claim to worship and claim to follow is he a set of propositions and ideas that you believe theoretically because logic tells you and you took really good notes at church or do you know the savior who treads upon the waves of the sea, and when those fears arise in your heart, when they meet the resurrected Savior, it is those fears that are afraid. Is that your Jesus? If I, if I could be honest with you, I wonder if sometimes we don't turn Jesus into just a nice set of ideas and principles and truths to follow instead of the resurrected risen ruling king who treads upon the waves of the sea and who meets us in those places of fear and we miss out on relationship with him because we try to pretend like we've got it all together. Today is an opportunity for us to cry out to Jesus, I'm scared. I've tried not being afraid. I can't do it. But God, your word says that what the law could not do, you yourself have done for me in Jesus. And so I'm throwing myself upon your mercy. This is why we took the offering earlier in the service is because I want to move us directly into a time of prayer and into a time of worship and into a time of singing. I'm going to invite our musicians to come and prepare to lead us in song. And as they're coming, I want to read this prayer from St. Ignatius of Loyola. He's a, a Middle Ages uh, monk. We're also in a moment going to invite our younger students class to come in and join us for this time of response. But, but I want to read this prayer. And then our musicians are going to play. You, you already received these, these elements for communion. You have them with you. I want to read this prayer and move us, move us into a time of, of prayer and worship and response. And so as you Read these words. You can read them out loud with me if you want. Or you can just sit and meditate on these words. But here, here is our prayer. It says this, O oh Christ Jesus, when all is darkness and we feel our weakness and helplessness, give us the sense of your presence. God, would you give us the sense of your presence right now? Your love and your strength help us to have perfect trust in your protecting love and strengthening power so that nothing may frighten or worry us for living close to you. Lord, we want to live close to you. We shall see your hand and your purpose and your will through all things. These these elements, there's nothing magical about them yet at the same time, I wonder if we don't turn the Lord's table sometimes into just this proposition where we think about Jesus and well, really we end up just trying to nourish ourselves by thinking hard. But in this celebration, Jesus has promised that he would meet with us. It's mysterious, it's supernatural. I, I, don't, I don't even want to try to explain it. As we eat of the bread, as we drink of the cup, we we remember his body was broken, his blood was spilled for us and we we take in these elements into our body and yet somehow, Christ shows up and meets with us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. I'll invite our musicians to just play instrumentally. When you are ready, you can take of the elements. We're going to sing a song that that speaks of remembering the great deeds of God's redemptive work in us. But I want you to do some business with God right now. We'll leave the, the words of this prayer up on the screen. And let this be our prayer for today. But let me pray for us right now. God, I'm asking and I'm praying that whatever fears there are in our hearts, I'm praying that you'd give us the courage and the faith, the trust to bring them to you. God, you already know. You know all things. You know our hearts better than we know them ourselves. So I pray, Lord God, that we would not try to front if we've been dishonest with others or even with ourselves. I pray you'd give us the grace to repent of that dishonesty and to trust you that you want to meet with us here and now. God, I pray that we would not have an idea or a proposition about Jesus, but we'd have an encounter with Jesus treading upon the waves of the sea. God, wherever we're at right now, storms, whether they're real or imaginary, uh, actual or theoretical, God, wherever those fears lie, I'm asking and I'm praying that you would meet us in those places. You'd your grace to us. God, will we know your closeness? Pray this in Jesus' good name, amen. Church, take a, a few minutes to reflect and to respond. We'll sing, we'll eat, we'll drink. And let's experience the grace and the presence of our Savior Jesus.